The professional interests and personal priorities of our hosts result in regular child development coupled with educational and brain learning conversations. Join in as Dr. Larry Mercer and Michelle Charles bring their expertise before the microphone as part of an ongoing dialogue between this father and daughter duo on Let's Build Their Brain. Probably like many of you, find myself heartbroken by tragic news stories involving children. Traumatic events can even impact those who are not directly involved. We as caregivers want to provide for, prepare, and protect young ones. So it impacts us knowing that that is not happening for a young child. In light of recent news stories, I was reminded of a previous conversation with Crystal Mercer a licensed professional counselor and a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in trauma, grief, and anxiety. Join us in revisiting a previous episode for some suggestions about news and traumatic events. In this episode, in an effort to provide support, there's mention of some traumatic topics. So please keep this in mind as you decide when and where to listen to this episode. Although there's no graphic details included, you may not want your little ones to overhear this episode. We are joined today by Crystal Mercer, my sister-in-law and licensed professional counselor, a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in trauma, grief, and anxiety. Crystal, what are some ways that trauma impacts people? We may believe that our lives or the lives of people we care about are at risk. Prime examples are physical and sexual abuse, traumatic grief, witnessing violence, and natural disasters. We can also experience secondary trauma by hearing firsthand about the trauma experiences of others. Secondary trauma is most likely to happen to first responders and counselors who repeatedly hear about traumatic experiences. However, secondary trauma can also occur when the traumatic experience one is hearing about is from someone very close to us. Again, simply believing that the life of someone you care about might be at risk can cause traumatic stress. The consequences can vary dramatically from person to person. Some symptoms include depression and anxiety that the person did not experience before or a worsening of those symptoms. Difficulty sleeping, irritability, difficulty concentrating, and intrusive thoughts where thoughts you don't want to have just keep popping into your head. There's really a pretty long list of symptoms. We could probably talk for a whole hour just on the variety of possible symptoms for post-traumatic stress. I do want to point out that post-traumatic stress can affect the entire body because the mind is not separate from the rest of the body. So individuals may experience nausea, headaches, body tension, and due to stress, a lowered immune response. How do we help someone deal with the places and maybe circumstances that might be associated with that traumatic experience or traumatic stress? There are now many decades of research on healing from trauma. Avoidance of reminders of the trauma is a major symptom of trauma and traumatic stress. It's completely natural to want to avoid reminders of the pain. What I actually recommend and what research shows is that we wanna stop avoiding those triggers as soon as possible. The longer we avoid triggers, the more powerful they become. If it's safe to do so, people should visit places where a traumatic event happened as soon as possible. 
we would want this to happen with as much support as possible. In some trauma treatment protocols, we would work on coping skills first and encourage facing trauma triggers towards the end of treatment. That's kind of because people typically wait a long time after trauma before they start treatment. So some of those triggers are really ingrained. However, shortly after a traumatic event, it would be ideal to visit the location more quickly and to stay there while taking deep breaths and using positive self-talk. Talk. For example, saying I'm safe, this too shall pass. I know it might seem cruel to recommend people go back to the space where some of their worst experiences occurred. However, the longer we wait, the more difficult it becomes to return to that location. Facing fears is the way to combat anxiety in a permanent way. Hmm. You talk a lot about going back to the location. When it, would it ever be appropriate to never visit the place of that traumatic event again? I think when it remains unsafe or becomes unnecessary to ever be in that place again, for example, if a chemical explosion destroyed a building, it would not be advisable to return to that location, especially not shortly after the chemical explosion. On the unnecessary end, for example, you could argue that if a traumatic event occurred at an out-of-town grocery store, you might never have a reason to go back to that town. Uh-huh. Uh, you might not have to go to that specific store, right? But I would recommend instead going to a local grocery store, breathing, using that positive self-talk, thinking about safety, feeling safe in that space. As far as the healing process goes, it might be helpful in the chemical explosion example to return to the site after it has been cleaned up or demolished. So overall, you know, there's really just a few exceptions. Most of the time we're gonna wanna go back to kind of dispel those triggers. Okay, so sounds like you're saying avoiding the location is not an option we want to take. Yes, in most cases, avoiding the location is not going to be a healthy long-term solution. And that's Mm. why sooner is better. It can be an important part of the healing process. For example, if you see memorials at the site of a deadly car crash, the creation of the memorial was likely beneficial to surviving family members, a way of Hmm. them dealing with their traumatic grief. Avoiding trauma triggers has a lot of consequences and can result in students feeling unable to attend class, people believing they need to quit their jobs due to anxiety, and essentially a lack of functioning that can affect a variety of life areas. Avoiding trauma triggers can also lead to panic attacks when later we're in a position where we cannot avoid the trigger. Hmm. We can, in a lot of instances, use images to get started rather than physically going places. So for example, in therapy, we've used focusing on a picture of a trauma reminder while breathing deeply. Another example would be if abuse happened in a previous home and now that home is a trigger, that location is a trigger, there may not be access to that previous home or it may not be safe to return. The individual can imagine themselves in the location, take deep breaths, and then focus on those thoughts of being safe. Thinking about news and current events, for many young children, school is a place that now carries a new fear of trauma. How do caregivers help children prepare for a return to a new school year? I think it's devastating that this is the case, but it is a real issue that needs to be addressed. 
we have certainly learned that virtual learning is not the best way for most young people to learn so that we do need to get back to school after any traumatic event that has happened. I think the best action to take would be to take multiple trips to the school prior to the first day back. This could be taking a walk near or on campus, and then if the school offers the opportunity, touring the school to feel comfortable. We wanna model deep breaths for our young people, and we also wanna model positive coping phrases for children during these visits. When anxiety causes us to become avoidant, a repetition of exposure is the best path to quickly reverse that anxiety. So we really would want lots of trips to school before school starts. Okay, you just gave us a few, but I want to see if you might have any more strategies you want to share that we should teach children so they can have some skills even when we're not present to help them with that. I am a big believer in self-regulation techniques like controlled breathing or diaphragmatic breathing is how you might call it, breathing from the diaphragm like you would if you're singing or blowing up a balloon. These are life skills that really everyone should learn, and you don't mm -hmm. naturally just learn them in life. Or right. In <laughs> With young kids, we can pretend to blow out birthday candles using our hands, imagining that our fingers are candles and we're going to blow out the candles. That is a great way to teach this skill. Also, physically blowing up an actual balloon is a great way to practice this. This is how I typically teach diaphragmatic breathing with young people and even adults. I buy packs of Dollar Tree balloons. They're actually <laughs> the best ones. You stretch them out just a little bit and that is a great way to practice slowly diaphragmatically breathing. So these breathing techniques can be helpful in a crisis situation. They can be helpful in a safe situation where there's anxiety and really a variety of other life experiences. In addition oh. to practicing some sort of controlled breathing with with your children, I would also recommend practicing positive self-talk. Come up with a list of positive affirmations and scripture that your children can use in an anxious situation. And then I'd recommend practicing these skills in everyday life before returning to school or anxiety producing situations. It can be very difficult to remember to use a skill after simply being taught. So repetition of practice and cueing to practice can increase the ability of a child or adult to use a helpful skill in a real life scenario. When should I seek out professional support in helping my child return to school? I think if some of the things we've just discussed don't work, then professional help could be useful. If you have a child who's having panic attacks when school is brought up, or who is unable to walk through the school doors due to feeling overwhelmed, then some extra support could really help. Overall, you know your child best. When you notice concerning changes in emotions, demeanor, or behavior, have that conversation with your child. That's the first step. Have that conversation, listen, and then if you don't see improvements, I would certainly consider professional help. Okay. How would you suggest someone go about this process of getting that professional help? Always recommend talk to trusted doctors for referrals. Um, go through your insurance to find the most affordable way. And I always like the Psychology Today Find a Therapist site. It's a great way to kind of look through, look at all the different options, both in your insurance or if you're doing self-pay, maybe you don't have insurance. And then there are lots of virtual 
therapy options these days, telehealth through your insurance. So there's really a lot of different options. Additionally, many areas have excellent nonprofits providing high quality professional counseling at reduced costs or even free for minors, hmm. sometimes free for adults. Wow. You can call 211 to check resources in your area. That's a national number to locate a variety of community resources. Additionally, children in school certainly might start by meeting with a campus counselor or campus social worker. And during a crisis, teens and adults can text HELP to 741741, and that will allow them to almost immediately text with a trained crisis counselor. Hmm. And anyone can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Those are just a few of the many available resources. And I'll have that included in the episode description, so you can go back and reference that as you need to. What might someone expect during the process of getting professional help? So once you have found a provider that's going to work for you, prepare to build a professional relationship. It should be a working relationship. And whether it's a child or an adult, it's important to take time to get comfortable with your therapist. Know that there is confidentiality legally. Um, What you're sharing is going to be private. One thing I think that I have not mentioned before is that when we're talking about older kids and teenagers in particular, we do want to allow the therapist to have some stuff that's just between the the teen and the therapist so that they can feel like they can maybe talk about some things that they might not want their parent to know about. And you can have a discussion with the therapist about kind of where those limits would be. And the therapist should also discuss with the child, you know, okay, this is something that we really do need to tell your parent about. So kind of talking about a lot of that upfront, that's Mm -hmm. part of the process with the older ones. Younger children will generally benefit from specialized play therapy rather than traditional talk therapy. This is a therapist with a play therapy room, lots of toys where children are able to reenact things that have been bothering them through play. Most children will benefit from this type of therapy over traditional talk therapy until about age 10. That's just an estimate though. Sometimes it really depends on kind of maturity level and how verbal a kid is. Therapy can simply be an opportunity to process everyday stressors. But it can also include education about specific mental health issues. It can include coping skills training, learning how to self-regulate your brain and body, lots of other coping skill discussions. In addition to those objectives, processing life experiences is a primary focus of therapy. Individuals should present their goals for therapy when possible. There's a real variety of specialized types of therapy. Many children, teens, and even adults will find it easier to process life experiences through art therapy. And then there are cognitive behavioral therapies, trauma-focused therapies, even therapy that integrates biofeedback machines. I think for most people, it's most important to start by finding a therapist you're comfortable with. I personally practice CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and trauma-focused CBT which are evidence-based models that have been shown to be effective through decades of research. And finally, I encourage people to consider that therapy is a process that generally takes time. I say this a lot, but it's not like taking antibiotics a couple of weeks and you're done. Parents should especially consider that their children will need time to connect with the therapist. This can certainly take longer with kids and teens than adults. 
encourage, encourage parents to talk with the therapist about the treatment plan and try to complete the entire plan rather than ending therapy when your child starts to show early signs of improvement. The longer we have carried the burdens and scars of these traumatic life experiences, the longer we might need to heal from those experiences. What can we do to encourage and help someone else with seeking out professional help? Express your love, caring, and concern for them. I mean, this is someone you care about, and that's why you're having this discussion. Emphasize that your desire for their happiness and healthiness is what this discussion is about. Normalize professional support as similar to going to a doctor for other health issues. And validate their struggles emphasize that you'll continue to be there for them. Sometimes that validation is is really important. I can see that this is really hard and I want us to find some support for you. All right. Well, we've already heard lots of good tips from you, but we'll wrap this up with three practical and applicable mental health tips and strategies you would like to give us. What's the first tip you'd give us today? I think the first tip is to remember that there is help. And there are multiple paths to healing from even the worst of traumas. Some people who have coped with trauma alone for really an extended period of time might believe that things will never change, that how bad they feel is what their life will be like. And sometimes telling them about the help available, helping them to overcome the hopelessness that can come with the traumatic experiences, that can be really important. Wow. What's the second tip you'd like to share today? Face your irrational fears regularly. This can Hmm. be really difficult. Irrational fears are those that are not truly dangerous. If you can't tell the difference between a poisonous snake and a non-poisonous snake, like me, then it's acceptable to be wary of all snakes. So that would be a rational fear we want to face our irrational fears so we're not asking people to physically face abusers or face jump without a parachute from some high space however we should routinely face irrational fears with a relaxed body and strong positive thoughts well as i think about the youngest of the ones we might be caregivers to that seems like a daily part of life is helping the little ones to face what for them is this is this is a deep-seated fear but really we realize okay this is irrational we just haven't had the experience yet and sometimes as the adults we need to (laughs) realize okay this 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 might not be the most rational fear and i need to face what it is absolutely Any closing thoughts or a final tip you'd like to share today? I think while a lot can go wrong in life, it does not mean it will. Worrying does not make us safer and we are capable of great healing. So let's try to live life focused on meaningful moments with gratitude. And let's also model this for the next generations. I love that. I love that idea of we're we're modeling it for the next generation. Well, join us next time for more information and brain building blocks. Please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Stay connected with Let's Build Their Brain via Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Let's Build Their Brain Pod and on Twitter at Build Their Brain. 
Thank you for checking back with us each Monday for a new episode. We hope you leave each podcast with practical and applicable suggestions to aid your endeavor of building the brains of the ones you love. Until next time, let's build their brain. Oh,